cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, January 31st, 2012. It's going to be February tomorrow. Yeah, you know what that means. Uh, In the seeker-driven liturgical calendar, it means that uh, all the sex sermons are going to start coming out. Oh, what a better way to celebrate... Valentine's Day with a good sex series at a seeker-driven church. Damn. <laughs> well, that's why, you know, Driscoll and Ed Young had to get their books out when they did. Anyway, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically help you to think critically and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We do the discernment work to check to see if what's being said is true or false. We kind of work from the idea that, you know, you can trust God's Word and that God's Word is is actually understandable. You get that. It falls, that's the uh, the biblical category there is perspicuity. I just, you know, love that word. It just rolls off the tongue. But the idea is that you can know what Scripture means, but it requires you to approach Scripture on its terms. We talked about this recently uh, in in a monologue on Fighting for the Faith. But anyway, uh, oh man. So, um, crazy day today. Just (laughs) as I was preparing the program, I was getting ready to, you know, go onto the air, and I I heard what sounded like a, you know, like an explosion. I thought, what what, what was that? You know, and 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 the and the earth moved, and and my desk shook, and and I looked at my laptop, and it was, you know, shaking uncontrollably, and I thought, oh. There's got to be trouble on the internet, you know. See, now a lot of people they think that you know I'm like Batman, you know that you know when when there's heresy afoot that people just shine the uh, the pirate Cairo symbol up into the clouds and and then and then like Batman I fly in. You know, the problem is I'm overweight and so I can't really get around anywhere quickly. So <laughs> that that way of signaling me just doesn't work. Twitter works though. <laughs> I am such a dork. Anyway, you know, <laughs> sometimes I just, you know, it, it's, yeah, uh. anyway, so I was watching the Twitter feed today, uh, you know, I'm getting, making the last minute changes, you know, looking at the thing, and I saw a tweet from James McDonald, and I just, I thought, oh, I'll bite, 
you know, because he had tweeted out that he'd sent a video out, you know, kind of post elephant room video. And I followed the link and my jaw, it fell through my laptop. In fact, I think I need to get this thing repaired now. It fell through my laptop, through my desk, I mean, uh, through the carpet into, you know, from the second floor down to the first floor. And, um, yeah, uh, it, it, let me take a look here. Yeah, that's going to be about yeah, six, seven hundred dollars worth of damage just from jaw drop. Anyway, yeah, it, whoo, uh, <laughs> we talked about the race card and I thought <laughs> that I'd seen the race card played when I saw that, um, uh, Christian Post story the other day and, who was I wrong? I I thought the race card had already been played. Apparently, you can pre-play the race card and make it look like the race card. But then, you, when you really play the race card, it's like, whoa, holy smokes! Kid you not. Um, I mean, the, I James McDonald and, and company. They have, I mean, not just subtly played the race card. I mean, we're talking boldly, proudly, unapologetically thrown down the race card and here's the deal i mean there's just no no doubt about it i mean if you think that td jakes is still a modalist and you don't think he's a brother in christ even though they never address the word faith heresy well <laughs> you're uh well you're a racist that's just all there is to it and so we'll be playing audio from that video today in the second half of the first hour today, but I mean, my head was so you know it's like I had to go in and re-edit, you know, read, what oh, look, I can't do that story. I got to make sure we have room for this and that, and and it just completely messed up the theme today. So um, yeah, <laughs> today's program has been officially obliterated by uh, by James McDonald and Company and their bold play of the of the uh, the race card. I mean, it, it, it kind of leads to the question. <laughs> I mean. You, when you hear what I'm going to play in hour number, it, it, well, the second half of the uh, first hour today, when you hear what I'm going to play, kind of leads me, leads me to ask the question: Is the reason why I wasn't allowed in the elephant room because I was white? I just you're sitting there go, come on, Chris. I know, I know, but I'm telling you, just wait till you hear, just wait till you hear what they said. Oh my goodness! And see, here's the deal. I mean, this has gotten really ugly. I mean. And uh, one of the things that well, I remember when uh, when I was in college and I had taken basic logic courses from uh, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt and, and uh, I, when I was an upperclassman, when I was at uh, Christ College, which became Concordia University, Irvine, when I was there during my watch and I wasn't happy about it. You know, I, I did not like the change from Christ College to Concordia University. And you've heard if you've listened to me for any time, then you know that I sometimes lovingly refer to Concordia University, Irvine as Con U. <laughs> just because of my bitterness towards the name change but anyway that's neither here nor there but when i was uh, when i was at conu and uh, <laughs> see i'm doing it but uh, when i was there and i was an upperclassman uh, i was uh, dr rosenblatt's uh, ta teaching assistant and what that meant is is that i got to grade a lot a lot of um, midterms and finals, uh, you know, to help him with you know the grading stuff, and so uh, I, I went, one of the classes I for two years I did this for him uh, as as his assistant, <clears throat> you know, graded the papers for the um, logical fallacies uh, midterm and fi uh, final, and so really really became really conversant in logical fallacies as a result of grading midterm after midterm after midterm final after final after. 
Yeah, but so you know, spend a lot of time anyway. But anyway, one of the things that you, if you, if you're familiar with logical fallacies, okay, um, the ad hominem fa- fallacy, okay, it basically goes like this, okay. Um, I say to you, listen, I think your position is incorrect. That what you're saying is not valid, and the reason I'm saying it is because of X, because of Y. And because of Z, and I give you logical reasons as to why the position that you've taken on any, just name the position, is not valid because of X, Y, or Z. And I give factual data. I can say, you know, statistically speaking, this is untenable, or I can say that this is inconsistent with, with what we know about this, or this is not true because of, you know, here, here's what the Bible says about this, and what you're saying, it, it, it actually the Bible directly contradicts it. So, you know, if I were to give a substantive reason, you're not correct, or I'm crit, you know, criticizing or t- critiquing your position for reasons X, Y, and Z. Okay, if then the person turns around and says, um, your position is wrong because you are a gunky head, and your mom dresses you funny. Okay, now, granted, I actually could be a gunky head. I'm not sure what a gunky head is, but I may or may not be a gunky head. I have no problem admitting it. I mean, there may be some gunkiness to me. Okay, and as far as my mom dressing me funny, if I remember correctly growing up, my mom did make me go to JCPenney and purchase Garanimals. Um, you know, it was just horrible. Um, so and if, if you remember these things, I mean, those of you kids grew up, growing up in the seventies, don't you remember JC pennies and Garanimals? Uh, you know, the, the, the idea was, is that you can mat mix, you can basically get a, um, uh, an outfit that technically matches from a color scheme using, uh, friendly animal, um, critters. Have I told you too much about my childhood? <laughs> anyway, so the idea is okay. So, so I let's recap here. I'm saying that somebody's position is wrong, and I give reasons X, Y, and Z. Their retort is you, you're wrong because you're a gunky head and your mom dresses you funny. You'll notice then that what they've done is rather than deal with the substance of what was said in my critique or my observation or the substance of my argument, they've completely avoided all of the substance of that argument and have instead decided that they're going to attack me personally, okay? And that my argument can't be right because I'm a gunky head and I wore granimals in the 1970s, okay? Now, whether or not I wore granimals in the 1970s has no bearing as to whether or not the, my observation is factually correct or, or a tenable position. Absolutely has nothing to do with it. Whether I'm a gunky head or not has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not the position that I've taken is is accurate or tenable or feasible or defensible or anything like that. Okay, so what's happened is, is that rather than dealing with the substance, what they've then done is made the person making the point the issue. Okay. By the way, Mark Driscoll kind of did something similar to this today on uh, his Twitter stream. He sent out a tweet that said, no monument has ever been made to a critic. Now, did you notice that he was being critical of critics by saying that no monument has ever been made to a critic? He was being critical of critics. So apparently, he, you know, using his own logic, we could say, well, that means that there'll never be a monument to Mark Driscoll because he's critical of critics. By the way, that's how that works. But uh, but see, the, you just turn around and say, "Well, wait a second. Is that really true?" I mean, um, you know, I I can think of several critics. I think of Athanasius of Alexandria. Athanasius of Alexandria, great defender of the uh, the tr- the doctrine of the Trinity. 
Um, he was a critic of Arius. And uh, not only that, he <laughs> he did so in a time when it was dangerous to be critical of uh, Arius. Uh, you know, with the majority of the visible church bought into Arius's false teaching regarding Christ and the, and the Godhead. And Athanasius took an opposing view, and he was just considered to be well a malcontent and critical. Um, is there a monument to him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would call that the Athanasian Creed, because here's the deal: the truth won out. It didn't matter if he was critical of Arius or not. Didn't matter if he was uh, critical of Gunky Head. And by the way, I don't think they had Garanimals in uh, Athanasius' time. That being said, though, um, it, it it turned out that Athanasius' um, position regarding the doctrine of the Trinity is actually what God's Word reveals. So Arius is the heretic, and Athanasius, even though he was contentious, even though he was uh, a critic, um, he's memorialized in the Athanasian Creed. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's take a look at another guy. Uh, that would be Martin Luther. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, by the way, in case you're not familiar with Reformation history, Martin Luther, critical of the papacy, critical of medieval Roman Catholicism. Uh, was he a critic? You betcha. Is there monuments to him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are. Why? Because uh, he correctly understood what the scriptures teach and had the boldness to stand up and be critical of the false doctrine and false teaching that had overwhelmed uh, much of the visible church in his time. So, yeah, anyway, I'm off on a tangent, but you get what I'm saying here. So um, <laughs> so the idea is that as we get into the segment in the second half of this first hour and we listen to the audio from that video from the Elephant Room, uh, the race card, by the way, is an ad hominem attack. It doesn't actually address any of the substantive biblical factual critiques brought to bear regarding the issue of T.D. Jakes and his really kind of waffling position regarding the doctrine of the Trinity. And it also doesn't address the fact that the uh, T.D. Jakes is word of faith heresy and uh, it was never um, addressed at the elephant room. And so what this is clearly, the, the, when you hear, <laughs> hear this, you have to see this for what it is. This is an off-topic, ad hominem attack designed to make the people who are asking the theological questions the issue rather than the issue. That's really what this thing is. So, and by the way, yeah, it, it, and whether or not, you know, I, I don't know if James McDonald wore animals or not, if that were, was before his time, but it wouldn't matter. I mean, so uh, whether or not any of the guys on the panel in that video wore animals or gunky heads or anything like that, it doesn't make any difference. The issue is, is that these guys are off topic and this is propaganda like. So, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. And, you know, but, um, yeah, so, <laughs> whoo. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, okay? Not too many things. And in fact, I got to tell you, this is one of those programs where everything that I had intended to come to the air to discuss on Fighting for the Faith, yeah, we're not doing that. I'd, um, maybe Thursday, just depending. But I mean, my goal was kind of a normal edition of Fighting for the Faith. And, you know, with, a, you know, again, every edition of Fighting for the Faith, there's an underlying theme. And so when the theme got blown to smithereens by the this breaking story, I thought, yeah, it's probably not best if I do it that way. So uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cover a couple of things here. Number one, um, there's um, there's a kerfuffle, um, and uh, I've stolen this word now, and it made it part of my vocabulary. I said that I would steal this word, kerfuffle. 
Um, there's a kerfuffle now in the Axe 29 network. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some guys in the Axe 29 network who are not happy with what uh, Mark Driscoll has done regarding T.D. Jakes in the Elephant Room. There are some guys who are theologically astute, who have some theological depth, who care about sound doctrine, who are not happy with what's gone down in the Elephant Room. And the the first visible break uh, that we're seeing is uh, from a pastor by the name of Chad Vegas. I'm going to be reading a blog post that he put up and then got taken down. And then, you know, we um, Ken Silva did some investigative journalism and found it in the uh, Google cache. Worth looking at. So we'll, that's what we're going to do. We're going to, uh, we're going to take a look at that story real quick. And the reason we're going to do that is because yesterday I sent out a tweet asking this question. Okay. Now, remember, I'm, I'm a firm believer that uh, the folks who held, who put on the elephant room too, um, literally are seeing it as an ecumenical church council and that their decisions are binding on the consciences of every pastor in, in, in evangelicalism. Whether you like it or not, you've got to agree with what they've done. And if you don't, then there's going to be trouble for you and punitive uh, uh, trouble. You know, you'll be called unloving. Um, it said that you're, you will be told that your actions are in, are contrary to the gospel, that you love doctrine more than people. Now we can say that, well, if you, if you disagree with what was, went down in the elephant room, uh, you may be branded as a racist. Um, that's one of the things, um, and you know, and you're going to be uninvited from, you know, speaking at different events and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I brought this up, but you know, what I noted it, you know, as I was kind of reviewing, uh, you know some of the things regarding the elephant room. One of the things that struck me is is that I you know I failed to notice this that James McDonald and Mark Driscoll are kind of standouts at the elephant room, and here's why: James McDonald heads up the Harvest Bible Chapel Fellowship. You know, uh, which is it, it, you can think of it as almost like a mini denomination. Um. So um, and 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 then Mark Driscoll. He heads up the Acts 29 network. Now, if you're familiar with Acts 29, I mean, it's a church planting network made up generally of guys who are, for the most part, theologically rigorous. Um, but one of the things that's interesting, if you ever watch any of their leadership videos, is it's pretty clear the way they discuss themselves is, uh, well, or Mark Driscoll describes the Act 29 network as it's tribal. They're, they're some kind of a tribe together, the Acts 29 thing. And um, and so um, the question I asked is if if um, since Mark Driscoll, head of Acts twenty nine, and James McDonald, head of Bar- Harvest Bible Fellowship, were both present at the Elephant Room and and were responsible for what was t- going down there, is it possible for a pastor to challenge or publicly disagree with what happened in the Elephant Room? I sent out a tweet to that effect yesterday. I think it was a, it was a, uh, an appropriate question, and um, I, I'm beginning to think the answer to that is no. But uh, yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you why. Here's the reason why. Let's let, let's uh, let's do this. From the apprising.org website, headline reads: Fallout of the Elephant Room to hits Acts 29 Church. Okay, you can find this at apprising.org, apprising.org. Uh, this is the, uh, the, the blog site of uh, Ken Silva. Ken Silva is another one of these guys. I'm, I'm fairly convinced that, uh, it, that um, those who don't like him think he lives in his mother's basement. He's probably got a beanbag and Cheetos too. But 
Um, he's uh, posted on his blog um, the uh, the original blog post that got taken down by a guy by the name of Chad Vegas. Chad Vegas. And uh, and he he's a pastor of some place. I think it's like Bakersfield Fellowship or something like that. But uh, the headline originally read, uh, Mark Driscoll, The Elephant Room, and Why I Left Acts 29. And um, so here's what uh, Chad Vegas wrote. And again, you can find this at apprising.org. I still remember the announcement that T.D. Jakes would be appearing at The Elephant Room, too. I got a knot in my stomach as I became concerned my time in Acts 29 was going to come to an end. I could not see any good coming from this event. I couldn't see the wisdom in this invitation, and I hoped Mark Driscoll would pull out. I even appealed to him privately to reconsider. Sadly, the event went down as I feared it would, and I had a decision to make. I remember attending my first Acts 29 boot camp over five years ago. I was struck by three facets of Acts 29. First, I was impressed by their big-heartedness and serious-mindedness theologically. Second, I was moved by their passion for making Jesus known through planting churches. Third, I was struck by how young, hip, and urban these guys were. I sensed I didn't really fit into this group in the third sense. I'm from Bakersfield, but I love what they were about in church planting. So I pressed into the network. During the third year of my church plant, my wife became very ill, and we walked through a seven-month ordeal with her. Acts 29 was heroic in their care for us. Brothers in the network contacted me almost daily. The leadership of Acts 29 sent two pastors down to assist and care for me. Driscoll called and offered whatever help he could. Acts 29 even paid for someone to clean my house weekly. The brotherhood in Acts 29 was impressive, and I owe a great debt of gratitude to them. Furthermore, Mark was kind and helpful as a friend. He demonstrated that he cared for all the guys in the network, even the small church guys. I have nothing but good to say about Mark as a man. He is a faithful brother. He loves making Jesus known to people. I believe he is well-intentioned and always growing in his understanding of being a faithful gospel minister. I also believe Mark occasionally makes unwise decisions. For the purpose of full disclosure, I have disagreed with him over several issues. I'm not a charismatic. I believe he has a tendency towards over-contextualization. I don't agree with him with an ecclesiology that includes multi-site video ministry. Finally, I think he made some poor decisions in his real marriage book. If all of that is true, why have I remained in Acts 29 until now? I love the brothers in the network, and I did not want to separate from them over secondary issues. I wanted to give maximal benefit of the doubt. I knew Mark was the primary voice for Acts 29 and that I was not comfortable with how some of his comments represented the network. I also knew Mark and many of the other brothers are faithful ministers of the gospel, disagreements aside. As I sat in a video venue for the Elephant Room and watched Mark question T.D. Jakes, I hoped for that moment when he would call on Jakes to deny modalism in the prosperity gospel. I knew Mark would ask Jakes to affirm that God is one being in three persons. I was not surprised to hear Jakes say that he preferred that terminology over the modalist language. I was not surprised because Jakes had said similar things before. 
Frankly, I believe Jakes was equivocating and evading the real substance of the issue throughout this discussion. But my purpose here is not to prove this contention. See here for a detailed analysis. My purpose is simply to say that this was my conclusion and explain why it led me to leave Acts 29. I remember listening in anticipation as Mark rattled off a series of affirmations. I was waiting for that moment right after the affirmations in which he would ask, so do you denounce modalism and, the, and prosperity teaching? Are you prepared to change your church's doctrinal statement, disassociate from modalists or organizations, and dis denounce any and all modalist and prosperity teaching you had participated in? That moment never came. Instead, Mark smiled, shook Jake's hand, and said, awesome. I was stunned. I know Mark is smart enough to know that heretics will often affirm what you affirm, and the real test is whether they will deny what you deny. I wondered why Mark didn't go there. I looked at my assistant pastor at this moment, and we both knew that our run in Acts 29 had come to an end. We were no longer talking about secondary issues. We had now crossed into seeing the leader of our network embrace a man who is heretical with regard to the nature of God and the gospel. We were now watching Mark treat a full-blown heretic as pastor for other young pastors to learn from. I listened to the buzz in the room and on Twitter as several young reform guys rejoiced at finding T.D. Jake's a humble pastor to whom they could look. I was deeply saddened. I pulled out of Acts 29 that night. I want to be very clear. I don't think Mark Driscoll's a heretic. I don't think Mark has bad intentions. I think Mark is faithful, orthodox, and a pastor who is well-intentioned. I know many pastors in Acts 29 who are talking a different approach to this man, or taking a different approach to this man than I am. I believe they are faithful well-intentioned brothers. I didn't leave Acts 29 because I questioned the integrity of any of these men. I do think Mark Driscoll is wrong on this issue. I think his failure to defend the gospel and the nature of God in the elephant room as awkward and unfortunate, as setting as it was, was a major failure in his duty as a spokesman for Jesus, the church, as well as for Acts 29. I cannot follow a leader who will not act on Titus 1.9. So many young pastors are looking on. It is for this reason that I left Acts 29. I pray Mark will see the grievous error that took place that day. I will still love him, pray for him, and admire him in many ways if he doesn't. Hmm. It's important to note that um, that particular blog post did get taken down. And the scuttlebutt on the internet, especially even from um, Frank Turk, is that he was swamped with responses, negative at that. Yet there was nothing vitriolic about that blog post. It was just matter of fact and to the point. Which then, again, comes to the question. You know, are the Acts 29 pastors and those pastors in the Harvest Bible Chapel Fellowship expected to publicly affirm T.D. Jakes as both a Trinitarian and a Christian brother, despite the hack job that was done in the elephant room. 
Will there be repercussions to them and their pastoral ministries if they don't? Well, I I think one could make the case that um, what happened with Chad Vegas is is not a good is not a good indicator of things to come. In fact, it doesn't bode very well for Acts twenty nine at all. Just makes you wonder. All right. We're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> your church's praise band plays songs that worship you rather than God. Then you might need a new church. If your church's praise band plays songs that worship you rather than God and your pastor always preaches the law but never the gospel... You see, it takes more than belief. It takes more than faith to really please God. Then you might need a new church. If your church's praise band plays songs that worship you rather than God, your pastor always preaches the law but never the gospel, and your pastor cares nothing about you personally. We have people come to this church going, I want a church where I can know the pastor. I could never go to a church where I can know the pastor. You need to leave. I don't have time. I love my wife, I love my kids, and I will not sacrifice my, my family on the ministry altar so I can come eat food that I don't like and hang out with people that make me uncomfortable. And then you might need a new church. If your church's praise band plays songs that worship you rather than God, your pastor always preaches the law but never the gospel, your pastor cares nothing about you personally, and Jesus and the Bible only make cameo appearances during the sermon. I heard a story about a farmer that had an old mule that had fallen into an empty well. It was about 40 or 50 feet deep, and the farmer was so disappointed. He really loved this old mule. Then you definitely need to find a real church. This has been a public service announcement from Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money 
on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheapo Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Warning, race has nothing to do with whether or not T.D. Jakes is a heretic or not. And those who say otherwise, they're not telling the truth. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you're going to see two friendly yellow buttons. The one says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so uh, by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to play our warning here so that, uh, you know, because this next segment, uh, if you're not sitting down, you're liable to hurt yourself. Yeah, here, here's our standard warning. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouthitosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. Look out, look out, weak elephants on parade, here they come, hippity-hoppity, they're here, and there, big elephants everywhere. Look out, look out, they're walking around the bed, on the head, clippity-hoppity, parade, in braid, big elephants on parade. What'll I do, what'll I do, what an unusual view. I can stand the sight of worms and look at microscopic germs, but Technicolor pachyderms is really too much for me. <laughs> I am not the type to faint when things are odd or things are quaint, but seeing things you know that ain't can certainly give you an awful fright. What a sight! Chase them away! Chase them away! I'm afraid. Need your eight big elephants on parade. Big elephants. That's right. I'm afraid pink elephants. Um, all right. So as promised at the beginning of the program, this is the uh, audio from the video uh, just posted this afternoon, completely threw off the program that I had intended to play today or do today. Um, and, you know, we had to I had to completely rework the program. But anyway, 
Um, all I can say is, is let me go back to the point I was making. When somebody gives a substantive argument or a critique and somebody attacks the person, that's called an ad hominem attack, this is probably one of the worst ad hominem attacks that I've ever seen. And usually when somebody gives an ad hominem attack, it shows that they're not capable of actually dealing with the substance of what somebody is critiquing them with. When somebody attacks somebody with an ad hominem, they are refusing. It's a tacit uh, d basically, it's tacitly saying, I can't defeat you in the realm of ideas with facts and thoughts or doctrine or God's word. So I'm going to attack you personally. And that's what this really amounts to is an ad hominem attack that plays one of the worst notorious cards ever played in all of humanity. And that's the race card. Now, keep in mind, here's the deal. When we talk about the church, okay? There's no such thing as a black church. There's no such thing as a white church. There's the church. Okay? God's word and truth knows no racial boundaries. And the, these are, you know, the, I'm sorry, but this idea, you know, we're, you're either a Christian or a non-Christian. How does it go in scripture? There's neither slave nor free, uh, Jew nor Greek, you know, male or female. That's the idea. So in, in the church of Jesus Christ... Um, if skin color becomes something that you're, that becomes an issue for you, you got some serious problems because Christ bled and died for the sins of the world. That, and so, you know, Jesus doesn't, you know, there's no black church. There's no white church. There's no Japanese church. The, and churches that are segregated this way, um, the, yeah, they, they, there's some issues going on. But anyway, just, I want to kind of get that out on the table. So, um, here's James McDonald interviewing a panel of, uh, three guests as they do an elephant room interview part one and the race card will be played listen in this is brian loritz who pastors a church in memphis tennessee uh, this is charles jenkins who pastors uh, a church here in chicago and this is eric mason who pastors a church in philadelphia they're all fruitful they're all committed to gospel work and uh, you know what i got humbled so i'm not going to say whether what we attempted in this conference was successful i'm going to let these brothers say that and we're going to learn from you so let's start with the conference in general um just the basic premise that we don't know people till we talk to them and grace and truth in, in relationships advances understanding even where we don't agree uh, was that accomplished today what do you feel like were the benefits of what we attempted yeah i just got a comment here really if that's really what the elephant room is about why was i threatened with a rest when I showed up. Or the, the negatives. Feel free to criticize and say, I think you blew it here. Uh, we just love to hear from you. And uh, Brian, why don't, why don't we start with you? James, it, it exceeded my expectations. And I want to encourage you. I hope this is an annual thing. I mean, it's. Uh, I grew up going to conferences, kind of burned out on conferences. But I just sat here, especially during that um, the Wayne Cordero session, when he's just talking about leading on empty and that ministered to my soul. And there were some real moments in here where I could feel the tangible presence of the Spirit of God. So that there were moments when I can feel the tangible presence of the Spirit of God. So God's Spirit was there blessing what happened in the elephant room. And if you're going to be critical of it, well, then you're just not in step with the Spirit, are you? That was phenomenal. And then the Bishop Jake's piece uh, was really encouraging to my heart. I thought it was a home run. 
and uh, yeah, it was it was great. Good. So blessed by the conference, yeah. not the typical talking head thing, but right. lots of value through a different kind of forum than just preaching. Absolutely. Good. All right, Charles Jenkins, hometown friend. Yes, sir. For a long time, a Moody grad. Yes, sir. I um, yes, love you. You've preached in our church. You're a blessing in so many ways. But in this context, just share your heart about the conference. You actually uh, knew Bishop Jakes before. Sure. Uh, did you know Jack Graham? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. So, I'd seen him on television. Okay. And uh, I, I think it was amazing. I think that it was both, the conference was both successful and significant. Mm. Uh, success, uh, doing well. The notice, notice the words being used. I felt, I experienced, I, this is all subjective. The conference was amazing, Absolutely. but then significant speaks to contributing well. Absolutely. I think the wisdom, I think the insight, um, I heard faithfulness to God, mm -hmm. but, and also to his attributes, not to be so heavenly minded with no earthly good. Yeah. Um, but say it. grace, truth, love, love, meaning to hold in the highest regard. I think, um, we saw that on the stage. We heard that we felt that with authenticity. Um, and I think felt that with authenticity, this is all subjective. As a part of that, I think even some of the rhetoric about around Bishop Jakes and and maybe even Stephen Furtick and, and some others, I think we were reminded that sometimes the church can be borderline Pharisaic. Mm. And mm, yeah, see, if you point out that uh, there's something wrong with the theology of Stephen Furtick or uh, T.D. Jakes, well, well, you just may be a borderline Pharisee. And, and if we don't take the time to have these types of conversations around truth, um, around what it means to demonstrate grace and what it means to actually authentically demonstrate agape, unconditional love as Jesus did for us. And I think we got all of that in a multiplicity of ways. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for saying that. And uh, Eric, uh, your thoughtful commentary will be helpful. Yeah, I, I just thought, you know, when you look at the promo, right, and then I got here, it was just diametrically different. Because I was looking to see just a lot of head buttoning and a lot of tension. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, there wasn't any of that. Right, so not as much pushback, really. It's, it's really more of a, of, a, of a bravado than a reality, right? Sure. And, and, sure. It, and it was just, to me, just, just like Pastor Jenkins was talking about and Pastor Rich was saying, just in relation to just the wisdom, the unexpected nuggets that I'll carry on my journey if the Lord lets me live a long time. I mean, this was significant in a multifaceted amount of ways. I think um, I was counting the amount of older men versus younger men who were on the stage and just that wisdom there because we don't have a lot of stuff where a lot of older Christian men are talking. And I think, but also the rhetoric that surrounded uh, Bishop Jakes um, is was also, I think, a significant thing to get on record. And I think that it's going to be interesting to see what going to happen post but for us I, I just felt a great satisfaction with every facet of the time that i thought there wasn't a moment wasted so some of the strongest reactions of people were after now this is brian loritz freaking americans in the blogosphere um and i'll just go ahead and say it who strike me as wanting so bad to be in the white theological world and to, to take a uh, so um, there's so people in the blogosphere or in the African American community wanting so bad to be in the white theological world. Is there a such thing as white theology as opposed to black theology?
the only time I've ever heard of black theology, it's a heresy, black liberation theology. The uh, yeah, th this is this is a dangerous distinction that Brian Loritz is bringing up here. Go ahead and say it. Who strike me as wanting so bad to be in the white theological world and. To, to take a little bit of a, a, a tangent here, and I'll, I'll get back, the loudest voices in the conservative evangelical world, in my estimation right now, are your older white reformed voices. Yeah, so yeah, there's just not enough diversity out there in that, that older white reformed group. And so that implicitly sends the message that mature Christianity in the conservative evangelical world is older white. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the problem there is that um, the people who are critiquing T.D. Jakes, well, they're just a bunch of older white guys. And and that's the mature leader. They, they just there isn't enough diversity, you know. And so if we had diversity, then there wouldn't be so many people critiquing uh, T.D. Jakes. Right. Is this this truth only go with your skin color? Skin color has nothing to do with the truth. You see, there's this concept that goes way back, and it's this idea that Christianity is Catholic, small c. Catholic, small c. And what that means is that it's universal. So that, you know, a congregation in rural Tibet of Christians believes, teaches, and confesses the same thing as a congregation in Somalia. South Africa, um, uh, Tonga, down there in uh, Papua New Guinea, the United States, China. It doesn't matter. We're all brothers who believe, teach, and confess the same thing. That's the idea. There's no such thing as Tongan theology. There's no such thing as Tibetan theology in Christianity. There's none of that. And that's the wonderful thing about when you understand Christianity to be Catholic. This... This thing that Brian Loritz here is describing is not the Catholic faith with a small c. He's describing a sectarian theology based upon race. And that is not what's going on in the Reformed camp or the Lutheran camp or among those who are critiquing T.D. Jakes. Race has nothing to do with it. In fact, the reason why T.D. Jakes has been critiqued is because he's theologically equivocated, because he's tried to straddle the fence between modalism and Trinitarianism, and because he teaches the word of faith heresy. And here, Brian Loritz here is taking the gloves off, played the race card, big and bold. And let's get, let's make this clear, okay? James McDonald did not have to post this video. He could have said, no way, but he didn't. And you've got some African-Americans who so idolize that, it's what, what some people would call white idolization, that they then feel as if they've got to be the voice for black culture to speak against people like T.D. Jakes. So what happens is... Yeah, so um, uh, Vody Bauckham, um, is, is, is that what he is? He's just a, he's really just a theologically white guy. Is that what it is? 
or is it what he believed teaches and confesses and what the critique that he's brought to bear against T.D. Jakes? Is that what the Bible teaches? Because truth transcends all cultures in skin color. Skin color has nothing to do with it. You kind of prop them up when the truth of the matter is the term black is very complex. Mm. I mean, Eric and I is a running joke. <laughs> We're black, but we're, I'm Theo Huxtable. He's Alan Iverson. <laughs> we're, 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 we're different. We're yeah. different. So the notion Not that anybody. Uh, ob- yeah, obviously. So my, my concern is African-Americans, a small minority speaking against Jake's and then leveraging that in the white theological world. White theological world. Huh. What are we? Sh- I mean, should we be listening to black liberation theology instead? Again, there is Christian theology, and it doesn't matter what color your skin is, it's true for you, no matter who you be. For some of these older white theologians, what would they be leveraging it for? To fit into their circles. Mm-hmm. Opportunity. We, we want to be in their circles. And so we'll allow ourselves to be used as a puppet. That is my perception. Oh, my goodness. This is so offensive. I just, I, really. So a man like Vody Bakum, he's basically allowing himself to be used by the white theological system. It's unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Backing it up. To fit into their circles. Mm-hmm. Opportunity. We, we want to be in their circles. And so we'll allow ourselves to be used as a puppet. That is my perception. Yeah. Of some of this this uh, backlash. Okay, Charles. Now notice, did that have anything to do with the substance of the words and the doctrine spoken by the mouth of T.D. Jakes? Nothing at all. So now truth is no longer a matter of what he said, and the substance of his argument. But now this has come down to a matter of race. This is an ad hominem attack. An ad hominem attack of the worst and basest kind. It's rooted in racism of all things. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen anything quite like this since it really, in, since I was a kid. I mean, I grew up, you know, I, you know, when I was, you know, when I was a kid in the, in the seventies, I remember a lot of the, you know, some of the ongoing lingering racial battles, you know, segregated schools. Well, what do we have? Mandatory busing, you know, things like that. They had, you know, kids who were being bused into different schools as a means of, and there was all kinds of controversy regarding that when I was a kid. But uh, I, 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 I just, I'm flummoxed. I'm absolutely just flabbergasted at what I'm hearing here. Whether or not T.D. Jakes is a modalist and whether or not T.D. Jakes is a heretical word of faith huckster has nothing to do with his skin color. By the way, I, I saw a, an advertisement today um, that, that, that had t- uh, Tim Tebow on the front of it. In case you haven't noticed, Tim Tebow, well, he's white. And he's going to be appearing in Ohio next month. Uh, with some of the largest uh, heretical TBN names out there, including, of all people, Ken Copeland. Okay? I mean, if we were to just turn this around and uh, and Brian Loritz were to start tweeting out negative things about Kenneth Copeland, 
should I be able to tell them, you know, listen, you just don't understand white theology, right? I mean, you know, who are you to critique? I mean, you, you're just coming at this from the point of view of somebody who's African-American. Yeah, you don't, you don't really, you know, this, listen, you know, you're not in our circles, so, you know, you don't have the right to critique him. I, I don't even care if your argument's biblical or not, you know. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't make any sense, does it? This is an ad hominem, attack against the person, and the attack is against the critics based on race. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, uh, there are people that make microscopic interpretations based off a telescopic view. I have no idea what that means. Yeah. Yeah. And, and out of that comes presuppositions. So they're picking a little thing from a far, far away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and coming to refined conclusions based on a long-distance view. Yeah, I think, um, they're, they're, I mean, this whole thing is real complex, and I've been trying to wade through it. Um, especially after you and I talked and I kind of just read some of the things. I hate blogs, but yeah. I, I read them yeah. when the, only when they're necessary. Right. Um, and one of the things that... Yeah, you know, those bloggers, you know, they live in their mom's basement. They type, you know, on their laptop computers while sitting in a beanbag and eating Cheetos. You know, just, you know, saying, you know. That, that, that I've come to the conclusion. And I think Bishop Jakes hit on it really, really well when he was actually sitting over there <clears throat> when he began to talk about the way African-Americans process information and utilize information and deal with information, how we make decisions based on relationships. Um, we, we I, like, it, it's a very, very relational culture. Yeah. And what does that have to do with whether or not something's true or not? Two plus two is four, whether or not you, ha you are from a relational culture or from a nerd culture that deals with abstract concepts, right? I mean, the last time I checked... You know, math books apply the same regardless of whether or not your culture is relational or not. And God's word is true and systematically speaking from a doctrinal point of view, all of those doctrines are binding on every member of Christ's church, whether or not the subculture they're a part of in humanity is relational, abstract, or whatever. And so um, you, you won't see people like like that really have a strong voice among African-Americans, and I'm just going to be frank, that they have a, the actual populace of African-Americans on certain blog posts. Um, that, that, that's going to be handled very, very differently. If you get blackballed by black preachers, it's, it's for very, very different things. Right. Um, and so I, I just think that... It's, I, not, it's not for points of doctrinal disagreement. Well, it can no. be. It, no, you mess with the cross. You mess with the resurrection. Um, but, but I think that I was... After listening to Bishop Jake's talk, it was good to hear him even talk through the word manifestation. I don't want to spoil it, but just talk through that word. And for him, he wasn't even thinking in the same categories. And I think for African-Americans who are, who are doctrinally discipled. And yeah, here's the piece about this that is uh, just unbelievable, is that, I mean, I've spoken to many of these folks over the years, people who've left churches that are associated, affiliated with, or have something to do with T.D. Jakes. And um, you, you talk with you know, somebody like Thabidian Abwile, and on his blog, he makes it perfectly clear that T.D. Jakes is somebody who preys on uh, people in his own community and makes and he, he makes a healthy living 
by basically promising people magical solutions to their problems. All you got to do is give him a seed offering, right? And these guys are literally at this point legitimizing, legitimizing a heretic and a man who is a thief. Thieves off of his own people through his false prosperity, word of faith, uh, not false gospel, and you know, and shilling you know, basically for money, promising people the sky, you know, three camels of gold are coming your way, that kind of stuff. And and what are they doing? They're legitimizing this man, you know. Oh man, it, it just mainstreaming right into the heart of of of, of evangelicalism. This is heartbreaking. And white culture tend to take the methodological and theological systems and place them on African-Americans, assuming that many times people from where they came from don't have those doctrines as a part of their makeup, i.e. the fundamentals of the faith, because they don't use the same historic language. When I would say theologically, and this is one of the things, and I told you this a few months ago, you know, one of the things that really upsets me is African-Americans really weren't allowed into conservative seminaries that had fundamental, we talked about that? Yeah, fundamental Bible doctrine for years. As a matter of fact, a certain strong leader in American culture applied to one from what I understand and was not allowed to go in. So here we've got, we're, we're like, hey, y'all. <laughs> and, and how long ago was that exactly? Theology is not very good, but you can't come to good conservative Absolutely. seminaries. Right. Absolutely. Right. What's wrong with that picture? Of course there's something wrong with that picture, but my question is, how long ago was that? I mean, I'm 40. I don't want to talk about that. I, okay, listen, I'm in my mid-40s. So um, I, has, I, don't, I don't recall anything like this in my entire lifetime. I mean, you make it sound like it was, well, you know, yesterday. Maybe it was, was it five years ago? Was it 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, half a century ago? How long ago was this? So, sure. so I'm not using that as a scapegoat, but I am saying there has to be some level of empathy to understand that many times the doctrinal heritage of some, which I'm not saying all African-Americans by far uh, absolutely don't have sound doctrine. I think that's just, I think that whole, that's a whole nother. Well, it's just varied, that's it's just varied as it is in the white culture. Absolutely. But, but I think, I think the, I think the point is, I think that w we need to have, we, we need to be developing common ground with people that we want to be able to influence them versus write them off and put them on blast publicly. I just, I just think that's a real, real important principle and, and, and from a biblical standpoint. Hmm. Yeah, it's funny because when you read the biblical text, um, the biblical text doesn't say to, you know, find common ground with them. Um, wow. I mean, read Second John. Everybody's talking gospel and Bible, but don't use it. Right. And here's the other thing, James, that I thought was really powerful. We, again, this is Brian Loritz again, from my side of the street, I would look at something that happens in your church, or you would look at something that happens in the black church, and you would assume that you have the truth on something. You would assume that you have the truth. Okay. When in reality, you have perspective. There's like, uh, yeah, that's a very postmodern way. Yeah. You don't have, you don't really have the truth. You just have a perspective. Language 
in black churches and black theology that's different. So when people tell me, well, the black church isn't reformed as if that's bad, I always say, for example, people act like cross-centered preaching is a new thing. Right. Absolutely. When in the black church, every Sunday, every Sunday, I don't care what passage you were, you were preaching, you were going to the cross. <laughs> but somehow, some way, we've made that a reformed deal. Oh boy! So that was um, just awful, just awful. And I mean, what did we get? Something completely off topic. That's what we call an ad hominem. Or you can even say it's a form of a red herring, too. I mean, race has nothing to do with this. This is real simple. The way you know T.D. Jakes is a modalist is based upon what he confesses regarding the Godhead. And his arguments, well, I believe in one God, three persons. However, I don't like the word persons. I like the word, I prefer the word manifestations. Um, yeah, those have theological meaning, and it doesn't matter what the color of his skin is. Man, I just it's a it's a weird day. I I I just I've never seen anything quite like this. I mean, so in your face, so bold of a brazen ad hominem attack. Who and who's under attack? Well, white reformed middle-aged guys. Now, I'm not reformed. I'm Lutheran, but I I I think those guys would just throw me into that bucket uh just to be ornery. But um hmm yeah, um, I'd love to know what uh, you thought of it because at this point, I'm still picking up my jaw off the floor for a second time. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask me, my friend, on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseboro here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap.
Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. Gonna throw a good sermon into the mix here. But an important topic at that. Oh, I hate to say this. It's from a white reformed guy. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us from across the pond. Bethel Evangelical Free Church, Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent in Great Britain. Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley presiding. This is a sermon that he preached in May of 2010. The name of it is Beware of Heresy. The text that he'll be preaching from is Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Folks, we need this sermon today. Beware of heresy. You will notice that Pastor Charmley makes no references to the color of someone's skin. In fact, the fact that he is a fair-skinned British chap with a British accent and a reformed guy has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not what he's preaching is true. What will make the difference as to whether or not he's teaching you the truth or teaching you error has to do with whether or not he correctly teaches you what the biblical text says in this passage. Just making the point. So without any further ado, here is Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley and his sermon entitled, Beware of Heresy. Here we go. Our scripture reading is found in Paul's epistle to the Galatians and chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Having passed through the doctrinal section of the book, Paul is now applying that message more particularly to the Galatians and explaining to them the implications of all the doctrine. So Galatians and chapter 5. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. You ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, 
that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And we trust God's blessing to rest upon the reading of his precious and holy word. Our text this evening is found in the chapter we read, the fifth chapter of the epistle of Paul to the Galatians, verses 7 through 12. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. We live today in a world where there are many people with competing claims who say we are Christians and yet who believe things diametrically opposed to each other to be the very core of the Christian faith. And yet it has always been so. At the moment I am reading a book that was published in 1901 that is called Theology at the Dawn of the 20th Century. And in it... The editors brought together liberals and evangelicals and Anglo-Catholics for essays on certain subjects. So you have three essays on the atonement, and each one contradicts the other. Which one, then, is the Christian? How shall we know? Faced with these claims, we look around and we see the cults. 
The Mormons, they say, we are the church of Jesus Christ. The Watchtower cult, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they say, we are God's people, and none but us. We see the Roman Catholics, that's communicating everybody who will not help the Pope. And yet it has always been so. That was the problem in Galatia. There were people there who had come in and said, unless you are circumcised according to the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul's reply is, if you are circumcised according to the manner of Moses, then you cannot be saved. The one says circumcision is absolutely necessary to be saved. And Paul replies, if you are circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. The scriptures, the scriptures are the touchstone, the basis for what is true Christianity. Everything else is man's idea. The question is, what does the Bible say? Well, we have here in our passage, first of all, confidence. Secondly, we have confrontation. And thirdly, we have condemnation. We have, first of all, confidence. Now, this is Paul's strictest letter. This is a letter that is written in the heat of emotion, stirred up at the news that the Galatians were being tempted to fall away from Christ, to give up Christ by adding the Jewish ritual to him as necessary for salvation. I marvel, he says, in verse 6 of chapter 1, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ, that is from God, to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. There is no thanksgiving here. But there is immediately, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you. You are turning away from God himself. There is anger. And Paul realizes there is a possibility the Galatians may think he is angry with them, personally. And so he speaks of his confidence, because he has written this in love to them, not in anger against them. His anger is directed against the false teachers, against those who would pervert the gospel of Christ. To them he has love. But he must write in this strict way because he loves them. You see, seeing them turning away from God, he loved them too much to speak gently. And he must say to them, no, turn, turn back to Christ. If you do what these people want you to do, then you will perish. Turn to Christ. 
He sees them as it were headed for a precipice, for the edge of a precipice. And they are moving that way all unawares, thinking that this way is a way to blessing, where it is a way to destruction. And so Paul would send this letter as a warning sign. As if he could grab hold of them and turn them away, turn them back to Christ. And yes, it may be grabbing them roughly and turning them around. Grabbing them roughly and pulling them back from the edge of the precipice. But he does it because he loves them and does not want to see them perish. And so he speaks then of his confidence. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will have no other mind. I have confidence in you that you are real Christians, he says. That you are not mere temporary believers who have excitement about Christ for a little while and then it dies down and the law is more attractive. No, he says, I have confidence in you that you trust the Lord Jesus. I have confidence in you. And the ground of this confidence is very simple. This persuasion, he says, does not come from him who calls you. That is from God. His confidence is grounded in this. That he is aware that it is God who has called the Galatians. Not merely him. Now God has called them through his ministry. God makes use of means to call his people to himself. But it is God who is calling. They have not merely heard the word of Paul. They have heard the voice of Jesus softly pleading with the soul. They have heard the voice of Jesus speaking in the gospel. Writing to the Romans, Paul says, How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? The translation says, Of whom they have not heard, there is no of. In the text is literally, Whom they have not heard. That is, they shall not believe unless they have heard Jesus himself speaking to their hearts. Unless they have heard Jesus speaking through the scriptures, through the preacher. Unless Jesus himself has spoken. And Paul says, I am persuaded that you have heard the voice of Jesus. That you have heard Christ himself speaking in your hearts. Calling you away from all the, the idols that you served. Calling you to himself. I am persuaded of that, he says. That your faith is true faith. That you have cast yourself wholly upon Jesus Christ for salvation. That this is a temporary matter. This is a hindering. You ran well, he says. Who hindered you from obeying the truth. And here Paul is using a, one of his athletic metaphors. Paul often uses metaphors taken from athletics, from sports. And the picture here is the athlete on the track. On the racetrack. And he has started the race, and he is heading for the finish line. And suddenly, somebody jumps out of the stands and runs onto the track. And gets in the way of the athlete. So the athlete is slowed down and hindered. Literally, the word is, who has cut in upon you. Now, the Galatians, the Christian, whoever the Christian is, 
is like an athlete. There is a starting point, and that starting point is when we come to Christ. That starting point is conversion. And there is a finish line, and the finish line is glorification. When, by the grace of God, the Christian goes to be with the Lord forever. And this present life is the racetrack. And the Christian life is begun. And as the Galatians are running well, they are going on with the Lord. They are trusting in Jesus. They are keeping the straight racetrack. Suddenly, these Judaizers, these heretics, have run out of the stands onto the racetrack. And they're getting in the way of those who are racing. And so they are hindering the race, they are slowing the race down. But, says Paul, I am convinced you are on that racetrack. You have started the race. And there is Christ at the finishing line with that crown of glory that does not fade away. You are running the race looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And whether Paul wrote Hebrews or not, at that point, Hebrews also is using that athletic metaphor, with Christ standing at the finish line to say, well done, good and faithful servant. But he says, you have run well. You are running. You are in the race. You are Christians, but you have been interrupted. There is a sense in which this is not your fault. Because had the Judaizers not cut in, you would still be running well. But now, they are getting in the way. You have to run round them. There has been, as it were, a pitch invasion. And we must carry on on the track. And you see, this happens with all Christians. People will get in the way. People get on the racetrack. There are stumbling blocks are placed on the racetrack. Satan himself is working to try and put as many hindrances in the way of the Christian as possible. If he cannot destroy the Christian, he will destroy the Christian's witness. He will make sure that the Christian has a miserable life. And that is what the heretics are doing. Because the Judaizers are saying... Here you must have this, and you must have that, and you must have the other thing. But no, as again we read in Hebrews, you have to cast off every weight. In the ancient world, in the Greek world, athletes competed naked. They would cast off everything, so that nothing would get in the way. And yet here are the Judaizers saying, oh, you must have this law and this law and this law. And they are loading the athlete with the weight of the law and slowing him down. You ran well. But Paul says, I am persuaded you will go on. Because, he says, that you will have no other mind. That you are persuaded of the truth of the gospel. You are persuaded that this is the right racetrack. 
that you know where the finishing line is, you know that Jesus is the finishing line, that Christ is there in glory, waiting to receive all those who die in the Lord. You know that our God is the end of the journey, that it is Christ who is there. You are centered upon the Lord Jesus and the grace of God. And that is where the true Christian is centered. Oh, there are those who begin, yes, talking about Jesus, but soon it is everything else. Just politics, just social transformation. Now, these are not bad things. But they must be put in their place. The center of the Christian life is the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice for us. The grace of God in the gospel. And that is, as it were, the sun around which everything else must revolve. Every other part of the Christian life is put in order with Christ in the center. But those who are not real Christians, who are not trusting in Christ alone for salvation, they will put everything else but Christ at the center. And throw everything into disarray, but Christ is the center. And the reason for this conscience finally is this. It is that God is the keeper of his people. It is not of him who wills or him who runs, but of God who has mercy. It is God who keeps and protects his people. He is the one who watches over Israel. And here, here is the great confidence that we have, the great joy we have. Because you see, whoever we are, whoever else there is who watches out for us, slumbers and sleeps at times. When our Lord tells the parable of the, the ten virgins, he says they all slept. The wise and the foolish, they all slept. The most conscientious pastor is able to sleep. And sometimes falls quite asleep and does not notice a certain error creeping in unawares. But God never sleeps. The best pastor can miss a problem with one member of the congregation, but God never sleeps. God knows all things. It is God who keeps his people, and therefore we may have confidence in him. So then we see this confidence of Paul's. Confidence that true Christians who have begun the race will finish the race. And whatever hindrances occur on the racetrack, yet they will reach the finishing line because it is God who keeps his people. Then we come to confrontation. Paul must confront false teaching. He must explain and show it for what it is. It is not just a, a difference of opinion. You know, there are such things as differences of opinion among Christians on secondary matters. There is nobody who is going to say that because one Christian is convinced we should sing only the Psalms, and another Christian is convinced 
that we can sing also hymns of human composition, that one is a heretic. There are differences of opinion, and we may have fellowship together. But there is false teaching, and false teaching must be confronted. First of all, because it is dangerous. It interferes with the race. It throws Christians off course. It damages Christian life. I've mentioned before the great Welsh preacher Christmas Evans. Christmas Evans was a great minister of the gospel, a man who was greatly used in the conversion of hundreds, thousands of people in Wales in the 19th century. But Christmas Evans was affected at one point in his life by a false teaching about the nature of faith that said that faith is merely intellectual assent. It's merely saying the Gospels are factually accurate. That's all crusading faith is, these false teachers told him. Now he did not lose his salvation, he lost all his joy. He lost all his fire. And everything became a burden to him. Because you see, it became merely intellectual. Merely a matter of sitting down with people and saying, well, you know, these things are facts. And you must be persuaded they are facts. Well, you must indeed. But it is more than that. It is persuasion that Christ Jesus died for me, even me. And he was so burned down with it. It affected even his usefulness because how can you get excited about a mere intellectual persuasion? It has no real effect. It becomes a merely intellectual exercise. Christianity became intellectual and nothing more. But one day as he was crossing Kata Idris, God spoke to him. And as the sun arose on Kata Idris that morning, so the sun of righteousness arose once more in his heart and he knew what it was to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. As he realized it, that faith is not merely intellectual, it involves a rejoicing in Christ, a casting yourself upon him, a confidence of trust in him. But all the while he held the false opinion, he lost his joy. So false opinions among Christians, they hinder, they keep back from the enjoyment of the gospel. It is dangerous because it affects the quality of a Christian life. And it is dangerous because it contradicts the gospel. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you, it is a persuasion. These people are trying to persuade you of something. But it is something that contradicts the gospel. Contradicts what God has already said. When a message comes in and contradicts the gospel, it is false and it is dangerous. Because it sets up this suspicion that God has contradicted himself. See, God has said in Christ that all are saved merely by faith in him. The Judaizers came and they said, no, you are saved by faith in Christ plus observing the law. The Roman Catholic comes in and he says, you are saved by faith in Christ plus the sacraments. Plus your obedience 
to what the church says. There is a contradiction set up there. The Mormon comes in and says, oh yes, you are saved by grace after all that you can do. The Mormon comes in with his wretched book. His wretched books that are filled with contradictions of the scriptures and of themselves. There is one book in the Mormon scriptures that says that God created alone. And he is alone and there is no God but him. There is another book that says, under the same cover, that there are a myriad of gods and that the world was formed by this myriad of gods. There is an utter contradiction. It is false teaching contradicts and it creates doubt because of it. But then it is subtle. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Very rarely do false teachers come in at the beginning with a huge lump of heresy. They come in with little specks of heresy sprinkled here and there as when making bread, a little amount of yeast is placed in the, the lump of dough and the dough is then kneaded until the leaven works all the way through it. Only a little leaven, it leavens the whole lump. The whole lump, the whole loaf rises. And so it is with the heretics. They will not start off with the gross contradictions with the gross errors the Mormons do not start off with their book called the Pearl of Great Price which contains those two contradictory creation accounts I spoke of they start off with the book of Mormon which is merely an idle tale it is mere fantasy but which contains no appreciable doctrinal teaching at all but then, then you must go to the other books, they will say. And only when you are in the door, in the temple, will they teach you the true secrets of their doctrine. A little leaven leavens the whole of a little error can do terrible things. In 1939, a British submarine called the Thetis was out from Birkenhead on its last trials in the River Mersey with 103 people on board, the entire ship's crew, various dignitaries and senior naval officers and even engineers who had built it. And they had trouble getting the submarine to dive. So in order to, to get more water on board, they flooded the torpedo tubes. They opened the bow cap the torpedo tubes and let water in. But during the construction, a fleck of paint had become lodged in a small hole. And the purpose of this small hole was to tell the crew whether or not one of the torpedo tubes was open to the sea. And because there was a piece of paint lodged in that hole, the indicator that should have said that the torpedo tube was open said that it was closed. And so Krumen opened the inner door of the torpedo tube. And water flooded into the vessel, which plunged to the bottom of the Mersey. 
because of one small fleck of paint, 99 men died that day. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little fleck of paint killed 99 men. A terrible naval disaster because of a single fleck of paint. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And then, false teaching denies the cross. If I still preach circumcision, says Paul, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offence of the cross has ceased. And the offence of the cross is this, it is that God was crucified. It is that the eternal Son of God hung upon a Roman cross and died the most miserable and horrible death. A death so awful that it was not mentioned in polite society. The cross is offensive because every time Paul must speak of what Christ has done, he must say this, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is true in the eternal God, was nailed to a cross to bear the sins of the world. This is an offence. This is an offence. As I read those essays in that book, Theology at the Dawn of the 20th Century, the one thing that came with every liberal essay was this, if this is true, then is the offence of the cross ceased. Indeed, these men took the cross, the atonement of Christ, and they laboured to remove the offence. False teaching labours to remove the offence of the cross. It labours. It spends its effort. Huge libraries of books have been written to remove the offence of the cross. Or they will make it anything but what it is. Anything but God bearing our sins in our place. Oh, they say. Oh, how wicked, how immoral it is to imagine that God should bear our sins. Oh, whatever the cross is, it can be nothing but that. Oh, whatever the cross is, it is that. It is Christ dying in my place, dying in your place. It is Christ bearing the very penalty that you have earned for yourself. It is that cup of the wrath of God treasured up for you, treasured up for you to be poured out upon you in eternal hell. And it is put into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, there upon the cross. And there he drained it to its very dregs. There he cried out for you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There for you he bore the very penalty of sin. It was your guilt that he bore to take it away from you. Behold everything that you deserve. Poured out on Christ the agony, the bloody sweat in the garden. And see these emblems here. The broken bread on the cross. His body broken cancels every penal tie. See the poured out wine, the cup. His blood flowed freely from his hands, from his feet, from his side, from the wounds upon his head, for you. And see these tokens, 
will be offered to all who have trusted in Christ alone for salvation. And we take them. And as we take them, we confess, Lord, we fain would trust thee solely. Twas for us thy blood was spilt. The offence of the cross. Oh yes, wicked, sinful man, trusting his own righteousness, his own supposed righteousness, will have nothing to do with this conception of substitution. With the idea that Christ stands condemned in my place. They will have anything but that. But oh, in there is the offence of the cross. Oh, how blind men are. When the Bible speaks of the offence of the cross and men say, oh, they, this idea of the cross offends people. Of course it does. That's what the Bible says it does. If, if your theology of the cross, your idea of what was going on on the cross, does not offend some people, then I may suggest, the Bible tells us it is wrong. There is the offence of the cross. The world will not have the crucified God. But there is no other God. But the Christian. The Christian says with old Joseph Hart, the hymn writer. A man who ran after philosophy and all manner of things a long time. I after idols ran. But now my God's a martyred man. And finally we have the condemnation of the false teachers. First of all, Paul says, these men are misrepresenting me. They are saying, I agree with them. I agree with them on no point. They have ended the offence of the cross. They will not bear persecution for Christ's sake. They will not bear ridicule. But I, I bear it still because, not because there's any merit in me, but because it is true. I will insist upon the truth. Upon what God has done for me in Christ upon the cross because I have no other no other hope no other plea but the blood of Jesus Christ shed for sinners he says first of all these men are troublers they trouble you they hinder you they are not those who are running the race they are those who run onto the track not because they want to run, on, to run the race they are those who have climbed over the wall if you have read the Pilgrim's Progress, you have, you have read of those who tumble over the wall and try to lead Christian astray. That is what these people are. The false teachers are not Christians. They are teaching contrary to the Gospel. They are outsiders. They went out from us because they were not of us. They are tempters. This persuasion is not from God. No, as the, as the serpent of Satan tempted Eve in the garden, so these servants of Satan tempt Christians. And whoever they are, says Paul, they shall bear their judgment. He who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is, whatever his background, whatever position he may hold, whether he is a professor in a theological seminary, whether he is a pastor or a bishop, whatever his position, he shall bear his judgment. 
The false teacher is condemned. And he is heathenish. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now it is without, there is no doubt here that Paul, what Paul is saying is, these people talk so much about cutting. They talk so much about cutting and cutting in the flesh and circumcision. And I would that they would let the knife slip and castrate themselves. That is what Paul is saying here. And it shocks us. And it's meant to shock us. There were in the ancient world priests of Sibylline who would work themselves up into a fury, into a frenzy, into an ecstasy. And in this ecstatic state, these men would castrate themselves. And what Paul is saying here is, you Galatians, you come out of paganism. And essentially, these people, whatever their boasts of Judaism, they are equivalent to the priests of Sibylle who castrate themselves. This circumcision does not make you more holy. It makes you like a pagan priest. There is no distinction in the eyes of God. And these people might as well go the whole length of the pagans. They want to make a show of it all. Let them make a show as the pagans do. Let them cut themselves off. And there is also an allusion to what the Old Testament says about those who castrate themselves. Men who castrated themselves were not allowed into the congregation of Israel. Now, that word congregation is translated in the Greek Old Testament with the word ecclesia. The word that is translated, that is rendered church in the New Testament, in English. In other words, those who, these people, cut themselves off by the cutting that they practiced, the cutting that they thought would save them, they actually cut themselves off, separate themselves from the church. Oh, they shall be condemned. If they keep on in this way, they shall be condemned. There is only condemnation for those who will destroy the temple of God, for those who attack the people of God. And so we see, conclusion in our text, first of all, this great confidence in God. That Paul's confidence, that our confidence of salvation is not found in what we do, it is in what God has done and is doing and has promised to do. That he has promised that all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the one who comes to Christ, the one coming to him, shall be raised up at the last day. And that Christ will lose none of those whom the Father has given him. We see the confrontation of false teaching and how the great fault of the century at all is this, that it denies the offence of the cross. And finally, how those who teach a, a 
against the cross are condemned. But oh, there is mercy in Christ for everyone who repents. Even for a false teacher who repents. There is mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is plenteous grace in him. Plenteous grace in thee is found. Grace, says Wesley, to cover all my sin. Oh, indeed. May that grace cover our sins. And may we be kept by the power of God unto salvation. For Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. A good word and an important word about the dangers of heresy. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. Visit our website and click on one of the friendly yellow buttons if you would like to help us continue to do our work of getting this word out and standing boldly and publicly against the false teaching that has invaded the church and even the false answers by the false teachers against our substantive biblical critiques of their false theology. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.